This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirate Save the Whales, with Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob. Good afternoon, Rob. Good afternoon, and uh, here we are in a, in a very overcast and um, not very spring-like uh, downtown Blackburn South, or suburban Black t- Blackburn South. And um, now, today we're going to have the second half of our interview with uh, Barry Crompton of the mm-hmm. Americans, Australian American Civil War Roundtable Inc. Yes. And the first half of the interview last week was, was absolutely fascinating, so we, we just need to, to find a bit of an introduction uh, to, to this week's episode. And I believe that this week, 150 years ago today, the Shenandoah went around Cape This Horn. very day, yes, they did. They went round the Horn. They went round the Cape of Good Hope on the way to yes. the, the Arctic via Australia. Yes. And now they're going round the Horn as part of their circumnavigation. So Cape Horn, of course, is at the bottom of South America. Yes. Um, and it's a very difficult thing to get round. So uh, in the early days of navigation, people would sometimes use the Magellan Strait, which is between the islands of Tierra del Fuego and and the mainland of South America, and that was considered very dangerous because it was very narrow and twisty. In fact, so twisty that its nickname on maps was the Dragon's Tail. Oh, that, that, that doesn't sound nice. Yeah. yeah. So then below that is something called Drake's Passage, which is between Tierra del Fuego and some islands. That, that either sounds inspiring or rude. I can't quite... <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then, uh, then you've, got, you've got Cape Horn. So they, they actually went round the Horn. Yep. And what they noticed for the first time uh since leaving uh the arctic the, the arctic and and their encounter with the barracuda which of course gave them the grim uh unassailable news that the war was over and uh yes. their cruise was over um they noticed some sails for the first time they hadn't seen any for the the whole of the journey i, I thought you were about to say icebergs but, no no but icebergs no, yet but sails so they've just been traveling so much in the middle of the pacific that they haven't in fact seen any sails they have not seen any so they oh. see a few uh and they're very very keen to keep as far away from sails now as possible because they really don't want word getting back to uh the union warships looking for them mm. that they are there. So um, one ship got close enough to hoist its colours oh, and it hoisted an English flag. And they studiously avoided to host, hoist any flag whatsoever in return. Oh, well, because of course they have no flag. Well, that, that's probably suspicious in and of itself. Yes. But, uh, and then they saw a couple of other sails which they more or less kept away from as well and uh, they, they've kept on their way. So, yes, they go round, round the horn... This very day, 150 years ago. Well, look, let's go back a bit because uh, there's even even more exciting information from Surgeon Lining's diary from oh, oh, well, a, a just, few days ago. Just before you do, I've, I've of course, have been looking at uh, a memorable cruise by yes, William yes. C. Whittle, the first officer. Do some ruffling. Ruffling yeah. in front of the Because the, the PDF microphone. doesn't rustle with a dad. It, it, yeah. it doesn't. 
<laughs> and of course, he he hasn't had much in his diary of late. But the only thing that I thought was interesting is I have mentioned a number of times about he he often talks about his great uh, love for his darling Patty. Yes, who 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 is his sweetheart. Yes, back back in the south. And uh, in the entry for the September the 10th, he did actually note down my darling P, and then it says sentence scratched out, but some words can be read. And he's written, I have lost her, I can never love another. And then he finishes it with, and I think this is this is quite mysterious. And mm. this leads into uh, what Barry was talking about, about the p- possible romance with, oh, okay. uh, with Mrs. Nichols yes. and the captain. Yes. He's written here, my love for her was under the circumstances most peculiar. Now, I don't know what that means for, for Patty. But I think if you, were, if you were doing this as a script, it could be that, in fact, you know, Mr. He, Whittle was actually in He was in a love Mr. triangle with the captain and, and Mrs. Mrs. Nichols. Um, yes, and, and yes. that's led him to, to do this here. But look, I, I, I'm just idly speculating oh, here. Well, well, mind you, you're idly speculating in a way that a number of um, uh, people have, have in recent years. Oh well, look I, look. I might go straight back to the original sources, and uh, okay. let's have no speculation about uh, about romance. But um, the pressing uh, issue of the day, or rather the day being Monday, September eleventh, eighteen sixty-five. Hammocks are the rage now. Hammocks are the rage. Hammocks are the rage. Scales, Debney minor scales, strung one up in the wardroom. Waddell ordered him to take it down, and it was interfere with his passing through. Now, can you get any possible well, problem? That with is that? interfering with him walking through the wardrobe. Yeah. We, yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Now I know that he has no right to give any such order. The wardroom is a peculiar property of the officers, and if the navy now existed, I, for one, would not submit to it. But the navy has all busted up, so it's no use to make any fuss about it. So it's no longer an officer's wardroom, is it? <laughs> Oh, it's just some room. Partic- <laughs> and he's the captain. Particularly as I'm not particularly or individually interested, and I hope soon to get out of this ship. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. They came for the hammocks on the first day, and I went, I am not a hammock. I will not stand. <laughs> sorry. I, I shouldn't do that. But uh, this is the problem. Now that it is no longer the Navy, in fact, Waddell is still the ship's captain, and the ship... The, the captain of a ship basically has high and low justice over everyone. So he can now be as tyrannical as he likes. And maybe he was a bit tyrannical because on Tuesday, September 12th, 1865, old Lee has been going at a pop goes the weasel and looks like the devil today. He's I'm, been going at it a pop goes the weasel. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I assume that means he has been drinking heavily. I, I, that's the only thing I can think that it means. I mean, really, g- given that your your uncle has just given up the the Army of Northern Virginia and surrendered the South, you've got some some yes, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that, that, that's yeah. I, I once read a very long list of synonyms for drunkenness, and and pop goes a weasel. I have to say, was wasn't one of them. Now on on Wednesday, September the thirteenth, Liney agrees with Whittle that um, past several sail today, much sail up even at night. Now, Friday, September the 15th, 1865, past Cape Horn during the night, much rolling of the ship. Well, that's no surprise. So much so that <clears throat> Lee's dog, which had got in the wardroom, 
began to howl. Now, this is the first mention we've had of Lee Lee's having dog. a... Lee's dog! Lee's dog! Lee's dog should have one of the major parts in, in, in the picture. I'm, I'm, this, I'm envisaging it somehow as an Irish wolfhound. Yeah, an Irish wolfhound, and obviously... yeah, um, Or a St. Bernard with one of those barrel cocks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it goes over to the Abigail and gets its barrels. Sort of, okay. Now, Saturday, Friday, September the 16th, passing icebergs, cold weather. Ooh. So as soon as you go around Cape Horn... The icebergs come, and uh, that means I then have to work out how you measure the height of an iceberg with a sextant um, and put it next to a spurious black butt, as, as I said I would do last episode. But um, the, the spurious black butt, uh, for those of you just uh, catching up right now, <laughs> is another name for the uh, mountain ash or yes. eucalyptus regnans, a very tall tree here in Victoria. Yes, a very tall tree, but slightly smaller than the, um, the icebergs. The the sequoias and the and, icebergs. And the icebergs. But they are just about to depart. Well, look, I think we, with no more ado, we've got the second half of our interview with uh, Barry Crompton of yep. the Australian-American Civil War Roundtable, Inc. And um, we'll get on to that. And um, we've had a very wide-ranging discussion with Barry. And um, we'll just continue. Take it away, Barry. Take it away, Barry. There are certainly a lot of uh, very interesting stories about uh, what happened on the Shenandoah and the officers who uh, who served on her, and uh, no doubt we will continue to learn and uncover more information all the time. It is amazing how how much more there is. I, I think when you get you get an interesting voyage, uh, you get lots of again. This is again what you get in the American Civil War. You get lots of highly literate people. Um, officers who can who can who can actually write. I mean, uh, Midshipman Mason went through about two thirds of the works of Dickens uh, while while he was uh, while he was on the ship, and then, and then got on to Lay's Miss. Um, this is certainly one of the reasons why there is a such a great interest in the American Civil War, in that uh, education for the masses had really only been going on for thirty or forty years. Mm. Uh, the ability for people to be able to read and write, the fact that there were newspapers uh, being published and being able to be sold at a penny a copy uh, meant that all of a sudden you've got this massive humanity in the English-speaking world who have got the ability to read and write and to mm. send correspondence. Within the space of 30 years, you've got um, the uh, British introduction of uh, postage uh, stamps so that people could send mail cheaply. America also realised that it uh, could use the postal system to distribute newspapers at a very cheap rate. Mm -hmm. So you've got people who want to have information. They're all trying to be educated enough to read and write, and they've, they've all got this, this massive interest. We've also got the introduction of photography happening about the same time as well. So this is documenting... Uh, the age the... of invention, the, the, uh, the, the industrial age has all come together in the American Civil War. It didn't really occur prior to it in the Crimean War and it didn't really happen after that with the Franco-Prussian War until World War One. So you've got this micronism of uh, of, of a society in, in the American Civil War. Well, and again, that is the thing because, yes, you can... You can... Yeah, you, know, you can read up. There, there are hundreds of books about the the Franco-Prussian War, but half of them are in French and half of them are in, are in German. And right, um, right. Uh, we had a, a very early on, we had a, a, a friend of um, 
um, a friend of mine, John Coleman, and I'll, I'll do a quick uh, emendation and addition because um, John Coleman um, said to me uh, after our last episode that um, they're probably not going to have a galah dinner in um, in Liverpool on November the 8th uh, because how are they going to source the galahs? They're probably going to have a gala dinner. Uh, <laughs> For our overseas <laughs> listeners, galahs are in fact a native bird here. Uh, yeah, they're, they're a native parrot, yes. Um, although I, I, did, I did point out to John that... Um, uh, rainbow lorikeets and budgerigars, which are also Australian parrots, are, I believe, now feral in England because they were so popular as pets and they have now escaped as bred. So if they couldn't have a galah dinner in Liverpool to celebrate the Australian connection, they possibly could have a rainbow lorikeet. Or a budgie um, dinner. dinner. But anyway, but, uh, so, so John, is, John is doing a, um, a, a podcast on the Hundred Years War, um, which lasted for 100 years. It lasted um, over 100 years. Uh, well, it actually lasted over 100 years. But almost all of the major works about the Hundred Years' War are in French, despite the fact that, that, that many of the great victories in the Hundred Years' War were English. So, yes, if, if you have different language of, on, on, the, on either side of a war, it actually makes it very, very difficult uh, to it research. Mm. And that's, that's really one of the great joys in that... In America, at least, you've got the ability to go to the original source material, the original reports of the battles and the leaders, the uh, generals, all of the politicians and their speeches in the newspapers, and you can read both sides very easily. There was even uh, reporters embedded, to use a modern term, uh, at some of these battles the as well. Armies, there yeah. were, and uh, illustrators also were on the scene. And photographers. You couldn't take a photograph of a moving picture at that stage because you had to keep the, the shutter open for 30 seconds. So that, that led to people like, I presume, Matthew Brady artfully um, manipulating corpses the, uh, and things. Yes. <laughs> oh dear, I shouldn't laugh at that. Oh dear. Yes, yeah. There, there are grisly. some fairly famous photographs aren't there, are, there of uh, yes. artfully displayed corpses. So yeah. There's one in particular about, I think it was... The Devil's Den at the Yes, Gettysburg, Devil's Den, yes. The where they boulders moved. and they've sort of moved uh, the corpses around. To... And again, the, the art of the research is to be able to uh, nominate where where the corpse had been by being able to talk to his uniform and, and his uh, weapon and say, well, this is the same man who was over there. Oh, Isn't incredible. it amazing that the, 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 the instant photography was invented... Um, Faking photography was also invented, <laughs> and then shortly afterwards, working out that photography had been faked. Oh dear! And I guess that what I really enjoy is the fact that reading up of what occurred in Melbourne leads me from one discovery to another. A discovery. There was a comment in uh, one of the books that um, the captain of the, of the Shenandoah might have possibly met the um, governor of uh, Victoria of the colony, Sir Charles uh, Darling. And uh, Darling recorded that he didn't think that they had, well, they, they had not officially met, but they may have possibly been in the same place at the same time when they were at one of the churches in oh, Melbourne. Because certainly uh, Captain Waddell tried to meet Governor Darling yes. and spend a bit of time sitting in his, uh, his anteroom or his waiting yes. room. That they might have possibly been in the same place. And if they were at church... My mind led me to a number of possibilities, and uh, it was interesting to realise Governor Darling, of course, being the leader, being the representative of Queen Victoria in in uh, the colony of uh, Victoria, would have been Church of England, as mm-hmm. most of the upper class were in those days. Uh, Captain Waddell from North Carolina could have been, well, would have been Protestant 70% of the time, could have been Anglican as well. 
Um, I doubt, doubt very much whether the governor of uh, Victoria would have gone all the way down to the Shenandoah at um, Port Melbourne, to the local church down there. And I doubt that uh, Captain Waddell would have travelled all the way up to Turak to, uh, to attend the uh, church service there. And what I would have thought, mm. a Melbourne in 1865... I would have envisaged that uh, the main Anglican church in Melbourne would have been St Paul's Cathedral on the corner of uh, Flinders Street and Swanson Street in Melbourne, but that wasn't true. The main Anglican church in Melbourne was St Peter's Church behind um, Parliament House in East Melbourne. Oh, wow. And members of the political party, also people in the Melbourne Club, bought pews at St Peter's Church. Mm. And that's a fair bit of a hike, actually, further up the hill. For it is. someone like Captain Waddell. For Captain Waddell to go all the way from Port Melbourne, uh, Sandridge, all the way up to the centre of the city to uh, a church service. But in those days, it was still the done thing. And I, I guess even still, the captain of the Shenandoah had to be seen to be doing the right thing, as they would have... No, no, there was seen. actually a train, though, wasn't there? You could get There was Port a train Melbourne. from Port Melbourne to the city, yes. Which, and is, which is pretty interesting, given how uh, young the city is. Yes. That we had railways here in Melbourne uh, only 30 years after the city was founded, and not long after railways were founded. Uh, and we've still got the same railways and very few more. <laughs> and, you know, I, we know about that railway line because Rob and I actually walked the entire length of it. Yes. Oh, very yes. We were doing, doing our research for yes. the, the journey from Port Melbourne to... We, uh, uh, yeah. Rob and I, as a, just an aside here, did something called the Bloody Long Walk on Sunday, yes. which uh, for the Australian Mitochondrial Society, which is a, a charity, we walked 35 kilometres and for our American listeners, that was 22 and a half miles. Mm. And you deserve a round of applause. Oh. Part of that was walking along where that railway line went down to Port Melbourne. But what I thought, particularly as the last part of it, which just as an, an added bit of cruelty, they made the last part of the walk over sand. <laughs> so, you know, once you got to 34 kilometres and had that last bit to go, it was along the sand at what's called Brighton Beach. And I was thinking... There are a number of accounts you can read of Civil War battles where the soldiers would actually march 20 miles yes. and then fight a battle. And yes. I was thinking, I was in no state to <laughs> no, fight a battle no, no. at the end uh, of my 22-mile well, walk. I can well, tell you that. Well, we, we were talking uh, just a bit before about the, um, the introduction of the postage stamp. Now, um, Anthony Trollope, the uh, English novelist, who Mason should have read on the... Um, Shenandoah, but apparently didn't. But um, Trollope invented the, the post uh, the the post box that you can put your envelope with your stamp into. Really? Um, when he was a young man, he used to walk twenty miles to all night dances in London, dance all night, and then walk home again. Wow! I, I, I don't think we, we, did you feel up to dancing all night? Oh, I, 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 I didn't because <laughs> you know. I actually had a blister on my blister, I have to say, at, at the end of that walk. But it did make me think that uh, imagine carrying a uh, carrying all your military pack and your gun and things like that, and then ammunition and all the other bits and pieces and a water bottle. Yeah, yeah. and possibly not having shoes on yes. as well. Yes, which I think is quite amazing. So yeah, that that, that just a bit of an aside <laughs> there. That was uh, that made me think about that as we were. We can we were still doing do things, yes, and it is a very pleasant walk. I think it's. Four kilometres from the centre of Melbourne General Post Office to um, Port Melbourne Beach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a very pleasant walk that we can still do. 
That was. It was war, It was about kilometre 20 for us, though, so that kind of changed the perspective of it. Uh, yeah, yes. Slightly. Yes. So, Barry, um, the, the Shenandoah uh, sesquicentenary still has a couple of months to go. Are there, are there any events or anything that are coming up between now and now there is the a, end? There is a big uh, commemoration going to be held at Liverpool on the 6th of November, which... Pro- probably a, not with Galars, unfortunately. No, with a, which is a Friday night. Of course, the uh, night before is Guy Fawkes Night in, uh, mm-hmm. in England. Ooh. And they are having celebratory Guy Fawkes fireworks, of course. But on the 6th of uh, November, on Friday night, they're having a uh, dinner in uh, Liverpool where the Shenandoah was surrounded. And then there are events on the Saturday and the Sunday in uh, Liverpool. There are two... Uh, organisations both uh, creating events for it. One is going to be the 290 Foundation, which is uh, a group of people I- interested in the American Civil War. The 290 was the original name of the Alabama uh, uh-huh. vessel oh. when it was built, and they called themselves the 290 Foundation. And the Sons of Confederate Veterans are also organising their own because uh, neither of the two camps wants to talk to each other about it. Um, <laughs> Um, well, that's particularly sad, given that the Alabama was actually on the Confederate side. <laughs> yes. So, and oh dear. we're hoping that we're going to do something in Melbourne on that same weekend, on the 6th to the 8th of uh, November. Um, oh, well, mark that date. Well, well, look, if, 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 if yes, if, uh, if, if, if there is anything, we, we might try and do a, a live outside or inside broadcast. We're looking, seeing that the 6th is a Friday afternoon, it will be daylight saving in Melbourne, so they won't get dark until 7 o'clock-ish. But we thought we could either do... It might be a bit difficult to do something at 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon in downtown Melbourne. But And the Saturday is going to be the fourth and last day of the uh, Melbourne Spring Racing Carnival for horse mm-hmm. people. So we're considering possibly on the Sunday afternoon, if the weather is, is in our favour, that we might do something at the Pollywood side, a nautical location in Melbourne on the Yarra River, the Pollywood side, although built 30 years after the Shenandoah, at least it's got sails and is roughly the same size as the Shenandoah. Mm-hmm. So we could go there on the Sunday afternoon and then adjourn next door to the boat builder's yard and have um, celebratory drinks and nibbles. Uh, oh, the boat builder's yard being a pub, by the way. <laughs> Cafe, restaurant, pub. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that sounds fantastic. And uh, I have to say, uh, if, if any of our of our English listeners feel like uh, going along to Liverpool and braving the sons of Confederate soldiers at the 290 Club <laughs> and giving us a report back, uh, they, could, they could give us a, a live report back. Blow-by-blow blow description. By, it might literally be a blow-by-blow blow description. And and then I think uh, you know uh, wow the sesquicentenary might might factor and then we can start preparing for the for the bicentenary um, I'll be um, hundred and one then but I'm uh, sure no. I'm sure modern medicine I can uh, I've I've gone through the centennial and the hundred twenty fifth anniversary now the hundred fiftieth I'm looking forward to the hundred seventy fifth okay yeah we'll 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 we'll, we'll, we'll probably make the hundred seventy fifth but um, well that was. Um, as always, when uh, this, this is your second time here, yes, it's, it been, it's been a wide-ranging yeah. and, it, and... It's surprising the amount of uh, of myths that have, uh, that have arisen on the Shenandoah. Like everything else, there are, there are stories that, uh, that come to light or say. There was a fellow in Adelaide just after the Shenandoah's visit in 1866 who uh, was going around town saying that he was an officer off uh, the Shenandoah. 
and was later found out to be not quite right and uh, jailed oh, eventually. Fraud. A fraud. And, and in fact, this, this went all the way through to the 1890s. Uh, and last week I was reading in the Adelaide newspapers were commenting on, on the uh, doctor from Port Augusta. Augusta? Yes, who had died in Melbourne. He had uh, uh, travelled over to Melbourne for uh, an eye operation for a, a cataract and he died on the operating theatre. Oh. And uh, his obituary in the newspaper from the mayor of, of Port Augusta said that he'd been a surgeon in the Civil War. And that's where, and he got his, his doctoring degree from Yale University, uh, went on, served in the Civil War, got, got wounded. How you could ever do that as a surgeon, I don't know. Uh, but he died 30 years later. Unfortunately, uh, I have not been able to find his name in any of the official records. He's not in the, the medical journals. He's not in the census records of 1860. Uh, so uh, it might have been a tall story, but in those days, you never let uh, the truth get in the way of the uh, And especially, look, a lot of people, they, they who came to Australia, they left their country for their country's good, and they, they probably left their names behind them. And that's yes. why this uh, fellow was happy to walk around South Australia saying, I'm from the Shenandoah and I'm here to help you. <laughs> Well, I, I think um, we, we, we could probably probably go on forever, but um, yeah, I think uh, we might wind wind the discussion up, and uh, and we can go out to the backyard and uh, pick pick the limes for for for, and for Barry's can I fee. Say once more that what you're doing for the Shenandoah is just remarkable. That you've been able to do this for 44 weeks, and with another six or eight weeks to go, still, it's just been an incredible uh, situation that we. The entire world is able to thank you for doing such a sterling job. Oh, well. To Robin the Mob, well done, carry on. Oh, well, okay. Oh, well, on that note, uh, this has been Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Wealth, with Rob and Mob. We're blushing. We're blushing and, here. And our very special guest, Barry Crompton. So okay. we'll catch you next week. Tally-ho right. from me. Okay, and ahoy, and... Uh, Goodbye, good night. <laughs>